0: Welcome to Spinning Out, I'm your host Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to artists about their favorite albums. Today we're talking with Ryan Allen of the band Extra Arms about Superdrag's album In the Valley of Dying Stars. And as much of a fan of this band than I am, I somehow completely missed this album. Like most people, I was fixated with Regretfully Yours, so I missed out on this mid-career highlight. And it feels like I'm not the only one, and I chat with Ryan about this. So if you haven't heard it, definitely check it out after our talk. So Extra Arms released their most recent album up from here in 2019, and from what A Little Birdie told me, they have another album on the way in early 2022, I believe. Great power pop from Detroit. Okay, check out our Patreon. Gonna start dropping some extra content there over the next month. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. Please leave a review and tell a friend to check out the pod. Also, big thank you to all of our current patrons and big thanks to anyone who is listening. Numbers are climbing and I don't feel bad about the humble brag. Anywho, let's talk with Ryan. Hey, Ryan, how's it going? Uh,
1: well, if you would have asked me that question, uh, a year ago, uh, I would have said fucking terrible. Uh, but because, uh, it, this is being recorded in June of 2021, um, and I'm zapped with that good Pfizer juice, things mm. are starting to feel a little bit better, uh, around things the Things are looking up. Not, not, <laughs> not, not all the way there yet, but, uh. You know, we got NBA playoff basketball on TV. Uh, I can have band practice again. Uh, mm. The sun is out longer during the day yeah. uh, and into the evening, so I can't complain, man.
0: Yeah, I uh, was following NBA. I really tried my hand at it since since we didn't have shows for a year. I was like, I gotta get into something else. Um, so I became a podcaster. And I also tried to get into the NBA. So I started watching as many Hornets games as I could. Um, And now that they're not in the playoffs, I have not followed any basketball since.
1: You could have really combined the the two, two newfound passions into a basketball podcast. Yeah,
0: mm, yeah. I have a I have a friend, uh, Greg. They have a podcast called uh, Secret Jocks, and they talk about oh, basketball. On that, that
1: sounds awesome. Um, actually,
0: yeah. So I I would I recommend okay. that. Um, yeah. So so yeah, I've I've tried. Yeah, I've gone from the journey has been from just being the type of kid that just completely hates sports to you know probably the sports ball kind of person. Oh, yeah. And then trying to just you know just like it's it's cool I I get it you know I'm I'm working on football but I don't I don't know if I'll get that one but basketball I'm definitely into as well as baseball
1: yeah I think uh, my relationship with sports was you know growing up like I'm a I'm a man of of uh, very short stature so mm-hmm. you know immediately was at a disadvantage um, and then when everybody else went through puberty, still didn't really, you know, didn't really work out for me uh, in the height department. Yeah. But I, I, I played sports as a kid, football, uh, basketball, baseball, soccer, and really gravitated towards basketball. But, you know, once I heard, "Nevermind" in mm. 1991 as an 11-year-old kid, I was like, oh, what? this is fucking rad, you know, like, and it, and it yeah. kind of went from like obsessed with sports and watching like sports center in the mornings to like figuring out how to get a subscription to spin magazine and how to like, you know, figure out how to do an Ollie on my skateboard, you know? So I, I definitely went away from sports, but um, you know, kind of kept, would come back to it here and there. And basketball has always been the thing. And then when my son started to get into sports like i started to become like the coach of his team so i'm like the dude with tattoos and like you know a band t-shirt band t-shirt on coaching the basketball games of a bunch of 10 year olds so that's a pretty interesting uh you know role to play now in life but i i love it it's it's super fun
0: i think it's it's feels like more normal to kind of just let you like kids just kind of naturally seem like that for the most part, they want to get into sports. Uh, But it's like probably better for that than be like the parent that gets their kid really young, like really into punk. Like, I think it's probably better to be sports dad instead of, I
1: tried, man. I tried, you know, like there was a time I, I remember my son's 10, but when he was probably like, six or something i was like mm-hmm. maybe he'll like black flag because it's just like yelling mm-hmm. you know and yeah. it's like there's no it's so simple it's like caveman music you know and the like so i even went so far as to like record a co- like a couple covers of me playing black flag songs and then try to get him to sing the mm-hmm. it didn't work for you know like uh, it was okay. a total <laughs> yeah. failure but like,
0: oh, so you t- you tried? I did is try. I did try. And
1: then as soon as he like heard, I don't know, like, uh, like I'm trying, like Old Town Road, and like, yeah, like he's into like, like now it's like you know all the music he knows about is from like 15 second clips on TikTok, you know, oh, yeah. and it's all like dancing yeah. to like some rap song, you know, or whatever that I've just like totally unaware of, but.
0: Yeah, my my uh, my bandmate's son got into making beats, um, and you know, like he had like I guess like punk records and everything around, but I guess he was probably same as you. Like you don't really want to push your kid into doing right. it too much, and so it was just kind of like if they get into doing beats and stuff, that's that's cool. So he liked techno, and then now he's morphed into somehow getting into, like, Mudvayne and oh, stuff like that. Oh, weird transition there. Um, so, but, yeah, he really doesn't. Somehow it's like the electronic shift into new Metal wasn't that far, you know? But he's kind of like, well, if I don't tell him not to do it, then he'll just kind of get past it. Might as well. This is, like, the week of him being really into trains or yeah, something. Yeah. But he's like, if I really am like, you can't do this. Then he's gonna love it for life.
1: Well, I think you're supposed to get into punk to piss your parents off. So if your parents are like, "You should really listen to you know whatever Green Day or something," to a nine year old, mm. they're gonna be like, "Fuck that!" You know, like they're gonna find the exact opposite, which is the most punk thing to do. So punk, punk yeah. in that, and that with that explanation is, it's not the sound; it's the Like, you know, I'm just going against whatever, like if my dad's into super drag, I'm going to listen to something Mm. that sounds completely different because I need to find my own identity, you know, which I'm totally into. And that is punk to me, you know, so. Yeah. So my kid is a punk is what I'm saying.
0: You did a better job of bringing up what we're talking about today than me. Um, So we're talking about Superdrag, the album In the Valley of Dying Stars. That was released in the year 2000 on Arena Rock Recording Company Records. And um, so when was the first time, probably this wasn't the first time maybe you heard uh, Superdrag. I would assume it would have been an earlier record or what's the story there? So this
1: is their third record. Um, Mm -hmm. I heard Superdrag pretty much at the same time the rest of the world heard them, which would have been on that first record called "Regretfully Yours." Uh, they had a they had a hit song. Uh, I think that record came out in 1996. I want to say maybe 1995, something like that. But I I saw them on MTV, you know, which at the time was a way that I found out about a ton of music, probably on Alternative Nation or it was a Buzz Clip or you know whatever like alt-rock stamp that they would put on, you know, certain types of, of videos. Um, and it just, like, immediately struck me. You know, it's it's a super catchy song. It's got, you know, elements of the Beatles. And, yeah, at the same time, you know, there's this, like, throat-shredding kind of chorus that breaks down, and it's just bass, but he's just yelling who stuck out the feeling. And, and melodically, you know, but it just, like, totally was, like... You know, after already getting into Nirvana, you know, years before that, and then like sort of starting to figure out, you know, what, what do I like about like this kind of new rock music? You know, like I would always sort of gravitate towards melodic stuff, you know, so it was Nirvana and Pearl Jam first. And then, you know, along came Weezer and, and Green Day, you know, and Super Drag felt like they were kind of like a natural progression you know, where it wasn't super challenging music by any means. It was actually very reminiscent of music that I grew up hearing my parents play, you know, mixed with more kind of in-your-face, kind of like whatever alternative rock, whatever like characterized alternative rock, which to me was like the guitars were cranked and the drums were loud and it was exciting, you know, but it still had like elements, like I said, of like the kinks or, you know, the Beatles or something like that, so it was familiar sounding at the same time.
0: Yeah, I remember one of the things that it was like a sub pop thing that described like Nirvana is like I don't know what whatever two bands, but it was like essentially like Black Flag mixed with like Bay City Rollers. As yeah, well. yeah. <laughs> would say you know or like the Knack or something. Like it was like, like like you're saying like you know just pop mixed with like fuzzy guitars is a totally. simple way to put like that you know kind of put that whole scene, but. You know, this is post uh, Super drag as a band, I would say, is like post grunge uh, categorically. For sure. Um, so, do you feel like you were listening to them um, when you were getting into Nirvana? Or I guess Nirvana would have been a few years Yeah, before, I mean, I heard so Nirvana. Kind of the next step.
1: Yeah, I heard Nirvana in 91. Again, like everybody mm-hmm. else, you know, at the same time. You know, I was 11 and it blew my mind, uh, you know, as a sixth grader <laughs> or whatever. And then. Yeah, it just kind of set me on a path, you know, where it's like, I need to find more music like this, you know, so it would be listening to the radio, watching MTV, buying magazines, you know, buying like CMJ magazine, you know, where they came with like a CD sampler, getting mixtapes from friends, friends, older siblings, like it was just like a feeding frenzy of just like trying to gobble up as much as I could, you know, and in and, and 95, 96 was really when like alternative rock was like the main like mainstream music, you know, like Super Drag having a hit song, you know, it didn't seem like that strange. You know, they were signed to Electra, you know, they were on mm-hmm. a major label. There was money behind it. They that song again was like really well written. And there was a few there was a bunch of bands like that. You know, like Not a Surf was another band like popular was huge. You know, Harvey Danger that flagpole sita song like those three bands I think of like super drag Harvey danger and, um, and not a surf, like kind of in the same, like post dookie pre like creed pocket, you know, where it was like, there was just like tons of bands are getting signed. A, A lot of those bands were pretty young and, and not super like seasoned, You know, and, like, all of a sudden thrown out in the road, thrown on, you know, MTV. They were, you know, being interviewed by, you know, like, Kennedy or something, like, awkwardly on MTV. Uh, And it just, like... The good part about it is it really, like... It started to, like, allow you to sort of figure out, you know, like, all the different little, like, sub-genres of punk, you know? And of, like, alternative rock. And, you know, like, there was this kind of, like category of like major label bands like super drag like, not like not a surf
0: yeah
1: like harvey danger that were really really good but they didn't really have like the indie cred of being on sub pop first you know or something yeah. like that but i feel like they benefited from the success of like the nirvanas of the world or like even somebody like dinosaur junior or teenage fan club you know uh by kind of being in the like there was a lineage there for sure, but you know they they were maybe not seen as being as like credible or as legit because again mm-hmm. they didn't have that so like you know a, the awareness wasn't that like Kirk, you know Kirk Cobain was sleeping under a bridge man, you know like
0: yeah
1: <laughs> you know, and, and <laughs> so the super drag is just like some dudes in t shirts from Knoxville, Tennessee, you know
0: yeah yeah it really defies logic that they ever got popular because it's just i can't think of many other bands that i can't think of any band that has gotten big that's from knoxville tennessee but i can't think of any other that really are like almost any i can't think of much about knoxville tennessee um to begin with so it seems like a hard hard place to kind of become popular from it
1: it must have been you you know and i think that they were doing the thing that a lot of bands were doing where they were going out and they were you know touring of of course you know and, and they were they were getting courted by majors and sending their demos to people and i've heard interviews with john davis saying you know they picked electra because um because stereo Lab was signed to electra mm. um, yeah which you know is the such a like indie rock reason to sign to the <laughs> label you know but also cool but um, yeah you know i feel like th- what made you know they were just right place at the right time you know, like, yeah, definitely. Um, but I do think as you kind of travel through their catalog and I, I, I also think this very much so about not a surf and about Harvey danger, actually, who I don't think people are really as aware of their catalog um, because they have more records than that first one. And all three mm-hmm. of those bands, every record that came out after they sort of had their hit, it's, it's better. And then the next one is better. Yeah. And you know what I mean? So like, even though they sort of like dipped out of the public consciousness and got less popular, their records got better. And then they kind of had this like little bit of a cult sort of thing happening, you know, um, where maybe their second records, you know, were, were put out, um, you know, even Sloan is actually another band that like
0: Sloan is definitely, yeah. Like that too. And I think that was, uh, that was one of the other options that we could have talked true. about. I'm a big fan um, of them i i love i love sloan um this this album was very interesting to me because i feel like even though i like coming from like punk indie rock whatever kind of background like i feel like i should be more prone to not do what i feel like everyone does with this band but i feel like i've done what everyone does and get stuck on that first record um you know, and then there's, like, songs after that. Like, a song that I danced with my wife at was Safe and Warm from their last oh, cool. record um, at her wedding. Um, but outside of that, I, I don't know how much I processed um, their career as, like, a whole. And when I think about, like, the fact that they're on Electra, and then I kind of think about it in terms of, like, other bands that were, you know, all the bands that kind of got major label deals around this time. It's a weird thing because, like you were saying, you kind of lose that. You never get to have that indie cred. And then when you fall from grace, in a way, when you don't sell as many records as Electra wants you to do, right. then people still dispose of you like they would insert whatever major label band. But if this were a sub-pop release, even this record, In the Valley of Dying Star- Stars, or you know, even the first one, like the first one would have been a crazy big hit, um, by any metric on like merge records or sub pop, you know, they would have, they would have had a different trajectory. Uh, you know, I think we would be talking uh, like as a whole talking about super drag differently had it happened that way, but I
1: completely agree with you. I think that you, you, you've, you framed it up really well. And the only thing I would add to that is that they kind of did it in reverse, right? Yes, they yeah. did put out yeah. singles and EPs and stuff on like Darla and some indie labels for sure, which mm-hmm. does not have nearly the the type of you know attention even like in ninety four ninety five as like a Matador or or like or, or touch, or touch and Go, go or, or Merge you know did and still does, but um, you know they they definitely did um, play that game you know I don't even want to call it a game but like they they did what most bands young bands do you know they made four track recordings they made eight track recordings they you know they made some singles like you know vinyl only i mean they they it's not like they were like i'm trying to think of a band that just like got plucked out of you know thin air
0: jimmy world is sometimes one that people point to even though they had a record before that people don't really talk about um you know but like jimmy world is kind of viewed as that band even if it that's not even as easy as a categorization. Um, I think there's even like parallels, not like, s- I guess, sonically, because, you know, we're still talking about guitar rock, but like you could even look at the same, like they both got signed to major labels and then kind of had their fall from yep. grace in a sense. And then it's just that Jimmy World got another lucky chance and Super Drag probably so much didn't. Yeah, and so that's why their stores are. Yeah, different. Jimmy yeah. World,
1: you know, uh, that first. Well, I guess what? Uh, not clarity. Um, Static prevails. Isn't that their second record? Maybe.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it's just like that one, the first actual record. It's not even on like streaming. Right. Um, so it's, it's just it's just like kids doing pop punk sure kind of yeah stuff from my memory yeah, yeah. but
1: you're but that's a good that's a good comparison though because i think when 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 a band lands on people's radar especially in the 90s the the mm-hmm. affiliation like now it doesn't matter people don't really care you mm. know i mean there, there's still people out there who care and they'll they'll you know if a band's on sub pop or, or a record comes out on sub pop they'll listen to it no matter what you know even if it's like a rap record or an electronic record or something that doesn't fit into like what sub pop is classically known for. There's people who love, love the label and they're going to listen to it. But like in the Mm nineties, you know, like I felt like label affiliation really mattered to a lot of people because it was this kind of, again, like post Nirvana, you know, kind of like, um, uh, you know, major label feeding frenzy on all these tiny bands. And, and, A lot of it, I think for people who, who were there at the beginning of the like boom, a lot of it was just very suspect, you know, like Mm -hmm. almost like how dare you take these, pluck these bands out of like seemingly out of thin air, give them a shitload of money and then put them all over my TV and put them all over my radio, you know, like how dare you like force feed me this, like, like it, you know, like to a lot of people, like, you know, super drag could be the equivalent of like in sync you know like to true like yeah you know die hard indie people you know are you
0: in that 90s emo hardcore uh uh group on facebook yes <laughs> <laughs> i feel like if we posted uh, maybe i could be wrong but i feel like if any of us posted a super drag song there would be a lot of comments that would you know like call them like super doo doo or something you know, because of the fact that they had a major label moment. Maybe.
1: And then there would also be a lot of comments with people who are like, I fucking love these guys, you know? Yeah. Because there is this weird, like, crossover. And, and because I think they, you know, I know we're, we're here to talk about a specific record, not like their whole career trajectory. <laughs> but, there, like, yeah. it is, yeah. you have to kind of talk about it because it was a weird time for music. It was a weird time for bands. And, you know, specific to their kind of story, you know, they actually they made they made that first record. Um, they they did a bunch of touring, you know, they toured with Green Day, you know, they they toured on their own, they opened Forgot It Boy Boy. I mean, they were like they were doing it, you know, and they and they were on MTV a shitload. I mean, they were, you know, like they like had arrived for sure. But then they made that second record, um, head trip in every key, which, you know, the 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 first super drag record is basically like if you take sort of the shoegazy guitars of My Bloody Valentine, the Beatle-y kind of you know harmonies that they and, and like sing songiness that they do, you know, and add a little bit of like, I don't know, just like a under underlying like Dinosaur Junior ish, you know, jangle rock kind of stuff. Like to me, that's that's kind of what they did on that first record. You know, there's fuzzy guitars, mm-hmm. it's a little bit sloppy here and there, but the songs are really good. They're really catchy. The second record was like them saying, it's kind of like the Jimmy Eat World clarity thing where mm-hmm. Jimmy World was like, okay, you know, uh, we're on this major label. They're going to give us a ton of money. You know, we're going to go make this record, the record we've always wanted to make. And I think their mindset at the time was like, and then we're going to break up because no <laughs> one's going to like this. But they were kind of like, we're going to make Emo's okay computer, essentially, you know? Um, yeah. And Superdrag kind of looked at it like we're gonna make like our version of, you know, the White Album or our version of Pet Sounds or something like that, where it was still the band, you know, the, the stylistic mm-hmm. kind of like touchstones that make them them was there. But that record is very, you know, there's tons of sounds on it that were not heard on that first record. There's mellotron, there's strings, there's you know, s- songs that are sort of like slower and acoustic and it's just very it's a varied album you know and it's got a lot of highs and lows and and so you know it they they sort of you know turn that record into the major label and the major label's like cool don't hear any singles go back do more they did more cool still don't hear any singles we're not going to promote this best of luck and they actually asked to be dropped they were like you know why deal with this You know, like, we're not here to, like, make the record label happy, you know. And John Davis, I don't know him at all. I've listened to a ton of interviews with him and read, you Mm -hmm. know, and follow him on, you know, Instagram or whatever. But, you know, he does not seem like the kind of guy who's going to do what people tell him to do. You know, he's going to do what he wants to do, which I really respect. And so, to me... In the valley of dying stars is kind of the product of all the stuff that happened before you know hitting it big coming out of nowhere doing all this touring being all over the place finding success taking that success turning it into this phenomenal second record that is very you know sort of not completely different but really takes it's more of a a headphone listen you know if you will Mm -hmm. and then this third record after that didn't hit and nobody cared this to me is like their fuck you record it's kind of their in utero honestly you know um and i guess we could like dig more into that but
0: yeah yeah one of when i was looking at uh things like just like the pitchfork reviews just like during that time frame every pitchfork review for anything that wasn't i don't even know what pitchfork liked at that time it just seemed like everything got a bad review in that time frame it's just like the songs are really easy. You know, this is stupid. It's not as good as the first record. I don't know why they're still doing this. was like basically <laughs> right. the review, but they're like, but like, they're like, this is catchier than the last record. So, you know, I don't, you know, it, it's just that kind of thing. I mean, you could, I could say that a thousand times on every episode of that time frame. I guess the year 2000 with Pitchfork Reviews. Um, so, yeah, definitely there's a lot of the, uh, this was, it was like one for you, one for us. And then this was like the record for like the fans again. I I agree. Like, yeah. Kind of like the last, last ditch effort, you know, absolutely. Um, is what it, what it feels like.
1: I think that's a really, again, like a really great observation. Um, and you know, not to get like, again, I, I've listened to enough like interviews with, with them and, or with John specifically. And he's talked about this a lot. So, If you're listening to this record or to this podcast, it's probably because you like this band. You probably heard this too, but that being said, you know there there was some shit going on in the band at this time. You know, like they they left the label. You know, the their bass player quit. You know, they were kind of going through. You know, trying to figure that that out. Um, You know, John played bass on about half this record. They got another guy, Sam Powers, to join the band. And he he played on some songs and then ended up sticking with them, you know, for, for a bit. Um, but they they John's grandfather also passed away during the the writing of this record. And I think I think actually the way that the timeline goes is they're still on Elektra when they made this record, so they didn't ask to get dropped until after this record I think was kind of mostly done. Um, but I I I've heard stories, you know, John you know, is, is a very, um, you know, he writes about real things, you know? I mean, I think power pop, if you want to put this band in that category of music, c- certainly shies away from writing lyrics that are raw and emotional. You know, it's more like mm-hmm. she loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For every song, you know, yeah. but a lot of these songs really hit an emotional chord. I mean, there's five or six maybe songs about the death of his grandfather. Maybe, maybe not that many, but at least three or four and I and I've heard a story about him kind of turning in the you know demos or maybe recordings of this of uh, some of these songs to like the A&R guy and he was basically like I need something with more like emotional you know like uh, the, the, the I, I need something to hit me harder emotionally and he's like dude this song is about my fucking grandpa dying like how much more raw and emotional of a song can I write you, you know, or not write you, but write in general, you know? And so it's just like, I think at that point they were just like, dude, this is, we can't do this anymore. And that's where arena rock kind of came in and that kind of bookends our description of their trajectory, which was starting on a major and kind of moving backwards through the funnel, you know, and ending up on arena rock. And all of a sudden, you know, indie kids and, like, you know, people who are maybe into, like, more underground music started to hear it because it didn't have that, like, additional layer of, like, oh, it's on a major, so I can't check this out, you know? Yeah. Uh, it opened up some new doors for them, I think, for sure. And plus the sound of the record is way more raw, you know? Um, yeah. But we can get yeah, it. Yeah,
0: it definitely, um, I mean, it just simply sounded like a record. I was like, why, why have I not been listening to this along with... <laughs> You know, the other types of things that sound similar to this. Like, I don't know why it's not talked about. Um, I I don't know why it's not talked about. (laughs) Like, it's a strong album. I struggled to kind of figure out what I would cut from this record. There's always an exercise I do with any of these episodes where it's kind of like... Like, this record's 46 minutes long. In 2021 terms, I feel like that's too long. Like, you know... But, like, this is pretty solid from like from the top to the bottom of the record like i can't really think of much that i would do but kind of backtracking to since you mentioned arena rock uh records i don't know much about that label do you know like what other things they put out around that time oh man
1: uh not to put you you on the spot you are putting me on the spot and i i should know (laughs) so uh i'm gonna take a pass on that one because i feel like um what do they have they had Cala um which was like a New York band um that had like kind of a connection to Interpol maybe or something like that
0: um mm-hmm. but
1: they they were like a band that I would see playing shows with those kind of like early 2000s um okay. New York bands um and I think they were a New York label uh Pilot to Gunner I think is another oh, band so
0: it looks like a lot of bands that uh were either had that kind of that same trajectory or were kind of like right under the major label thing, like Harvey dangers listed, uh, you know, I'm not sure what they did together, but, uh, even like life and times, yep. uh, Ken Stringfellow from the posies. Yeah. So, you know, elf power, um, right. you know, so it kind of like that next level, if we're kind of using the funnel thing, what, what I usually use is like, it's almost like you're in a bubble when you're in bands, like, I guess, like, the the world we probably both live in. And then there's, like, another bubble. And it's kind of, like, hard to get. But then, essentially, when you get into it, they got the ability to get into the next bubble. But they're still, like, at the bottom of the <laughs> bubble. Sure. You know, so when people are like, wow, you're on a major label. But it's like, you know. Well,
1: it's like being, there's... you know, an employee <laughs> at, a, at Amazon.
0: You yeah. know what
1: I mean? Or, like yeah Any, like big corporation you know like you're just a number you know yeah so
0: yeah it doesn't yeah it doesn't necessarily it, you could yeah if i guess amazon using that because it's like as faceless to me as like electra yeah you yeah know? i mean hopefully Electra gives people like bathroom breaks but <laughs> you know um but you know in the same regard it's like if i worked at amazon i might just fill up a truck you know it doesn't automatically mean you know i'm you know, I'm a CEO, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, like a very silly example. It's like, I went to Seattle and we stopped by sub pop mm-hmm. and in the warehouse, uh, Mark arm <laughs> yeah. is packing boxes. Oh,
1: yeah. I've had packages, you know, addressed, and, <laughs> you know, yeah. or like the return addresses or I, his name has been on packages that I've received. Yeah. I think I had to return yeah. something once and they were like, Oh, you've got to go through Mark, <laughs> you know, like, Oh, from okay. <laughs>
0: I think it's great. Yeah, it's but, awesome. But you know, I don't. I don't know if maybe
1: you know we'll answer the f- phone at Discord or something. I mean, it's like that's why people like gravitate towards not 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 you know a majority of people certainly, but that's why people gravitate towards. That's why I loved Sloan when I was a kid, and I still mm-hmm. do. Yeah. Is because they were accessible. You know, they seem like real people, and they are. You know, uh, and they they care about their fans and like you know they 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 really have this like you know they elicit this like appreciation for their little corner of the world and it's funny mm-hmm. because i saw super drag on the 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 tour for regretfully yours that they did that they did um, on their own you know like they were the headliner and i have to say you know Uh, and I, and I've, I've toured uh, a ton and I get like touring is, is difficult and whatever. And, you know, I, I don't know what it feels like to be on a major label and then show up to a gig in Detroit and have there be, you know, 20 people there. Uh, Mm -hmm. probably 15 of which got free tickets at the record store, which is how I got my ticket to the show, you know, but, uh, you know, John Davis was super standoffish, not in a good mood. You know, not generous or or appreciative of the people that were there. Um, It was a great show. I mean, they put on a great set, and their bass player has this giant hair and looks like a tree, and they, 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 you know, for lack of a better description, they rocked. But he seemed fucking completely pompous and totally, uh, you know, just rude like a not like a dude that i did i was you know i was at the age where i was like i want to meet the guys in the band i was like i don't mm-hmm. want to meet that guy like i feel like he's gonna yeah. be mean to me um and funny side story after the show we got so lost on the way home my friend and my brother and i that we had to like call on a payphone like our friend's dad we had to like figure out where we were in detroit i mean we were like terrified you know uh, and like we had to like draw a map on a piece of paper to try to figure out how to get home. It took us like three hours to get home, which it would only have really taken about 20 minutes anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, tangent aside, but, but I guess my point is, is that, um, as they started to move throughout their career, I, I feel John is not that guy, you know, that he was in 1996. Like, he definitely appreciates, he's definitely humble. He definitely shows mm-hmm. that like, you know, uh, that, that, that sense of like acknowledging that like, Hey, this is a, you know, we're not, I'm not modest mouse. Right. But like, I, I have my own little corner of the world and I appreciate it. And I, and I, and they, and they do cool things and he still does cool things, you know, for, for the fans, so to speak. And I think that that's awesome, you know? And I think that like, you know, um, the, the way that their career kind of went backwards almost
0: Mm -hmm.
1: sort of gave that him the opportunity to really learn that like, Hey, like people really like what you do. It might not be at that level that you started off at, but like people really enjoy what you do. And, and I feel like he, he gets that, you know, so it's, it's fun to be a fan of, of him, you know? yeah in that
0: way yeah yeah i when you were kind of mentioning the um i guess when we were talking about the kind of mark arm thing but if we're talking about people being approachable um i've always like that's what drew me to all of this like i like as a kid like when you know i bmxed and like my brother skateboarded like it's like you would call the skate companies and essentially you know it's like you were saying ian mckay pick up the phone it's like some professional BMXer or skateboarder would pick up the phone, and that was always, like, super important to me. You know, like, that's, like, always what I wanted. Like, I always felt... I didn't feel like there was, like, a separation between, you know, the fan and, like, the person putting on the show. It's, like, there's not a pedestal in my mind, or there shouldn't be. Um, And, yeah, that's, like, a weird thing with, like, what kind of major labels do this, and I'm not sure where I'm going with the conversation, I may edit this to make myself sound more (laughs) succinct in my point Um, but I don't know if also that is what kind of like kept me from enjoying this band, you know, I don't know what it is that makes it feel like it's standoffish not to kind of just take your word
1: you know, I I think that when something is crammed down people's throats and sucked Mm -hmm. out was you know, I know you're younger than I am, so it maybe wasn't like something that you heard as much or at all, maybe when you were younger. But yeah, I you know I can see why people were turned off to you know these kind of like one-hit wonder type of bands. You know, um, mm-hmm. friends of mine that are older than I am, let's say we talk about it actually a lot. there's like the five-year gap. So yeah. like five years younger than me might hear Superdrag and think, like, this is corny. Five years older than me, might hear Superdrag and go, like, this is, like, fake music. Like, this isn't, like, like, I think Stone Temple Pilots and Weezer and some of these other bands kind of suffered the same fate, you know, from, like, the, like, more, you know, the guy who was, like, buying the Sub Pop, who was part of the Sub Pop Singles Club in 1989, you know, like, they're going to hear this stuff and think like, this is just major labels cashing in on something that got popular because of this one band and it's all bullshit. You know, I kind of like dig through it and I, and I hear the songs in it and that's what draws me in. Like would I have loved to see super drag play a house party in the nineties? Fuck yeah. You know? And would they have sounded awesome and would I have fucking flipped out being like this band sounds like, my Bloody Valentine and Teenage Fan Club and they're playing in my friend's basement. Like, I would have been, like, you know, like, you know, get, I'm going to get a super drag tattoo as soon as I can or whatever, you know? I had that yeah. experience with bands like Braid, you know, and bands like um, Elliot and and even, like, Jimmy World, like, and Promise Ring. Like, I saw those bands play to almost nobody. You know, it was, like, a secret, you know, society of, like, people doing shows in like vegetarian grocery stores or, you know, skate uh skate shops or um, you know, like BFW halls or whatever. Like Super Drag got to kind of skip that step a little bit. I'm sure they played houses and stuff in Knoxville or whatever. But to the general public, they got to they got to leapfrog that. Whereas Braid yeah. did it. You know? Braid had to yeah. build their fan base like one heavy ass brick at a time and play every shitty ass punk house from you know urbana to alabama you know and they had to really do the do it in a very diy way you know yeah. they 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 made the record with j robbins last you know not first right so yeah, I mean, I, I guess I don't really know exactly where my point is going either, but I think that there's like, <laughs> I guess I think there's a line in the sand, and on one side of that line are some of these bands like again, not a surf, super drag, Harvey danger. You can keep, you can add more to it like Jim Blossoms or something, um, Goo Dolls, Blossoms. you know. Yeah. Who, again, like Google, Do- Google Dolls is interesting because they had they had a whole punk history you know they're like they didn't their trajectory is not what super drags was but i guess my point is is like these are all bands that hit songs you know Mm -hmm. and when a band has a hit song it it really forces people to like decide you know like are you down or are you not down because all of a sudden everybody every fucking dildo that you know is like who's out the feeling and you're like i fucking hate that guy and he likes this And you got to decide, like, because that guy, if that guy likes this shit, does that mean it sucks? Or does that mean it's really fucking, it's a really fucking good song, you know? And I think for me, it was like, no, these are really fucking good songs, you know? And, like, that's why I'm on board. And it kept, you know... Again, like I said earlier, like every record just got better and better, you know. And so by the time yeah. by the time Valley came out, man, I was like when I heard this record, I was like these songs rule. Like they sound cool. You know, there's there's I mean, I'll say it like I think for my money this is my favorite record of all time. And I think it is okay. probably yeah. one of the best rock and roll pure rock and roll records that I've ever heard. It's got everything. It's got the beatles harmonies. It's got teenage fan club-ish jangle. It's got a Husker Du sugar kind of like punk aggression to it. It's got the My Bloody Valentine shoegaze thing. You know, it's got a big star kind of like, you know, kind of, it, it's just everything that I love about rock, it's here. It's on this record. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, I mean, it really does. Like, I can't. I don't have anything to say about that. <laughs> like, it, yeah, it, w- even the way it starts, like, uh, as much as I like, like, Teenage Fan Club, sometimes I feel like, sometimes it's like, I wish this had, like, a fuzzier guitar. Yeah. And then there are Teenage Fan Club records that do have that. But then I'm like, no, maybe, you know, so it's like a weird sweet spot. But this record, for me, hit, like, in the perfect sweet spot for me. Like, you know, just kind of echoing what you said like it has the power but it has i guess the pop you know and forgive me for putting that together but you're right Um, that is exactly (laughs)
1: like when i think of power pop i i I actually describe extra arms my (laughs) band as like putting the power in power pop because power pop can be a very vanilla very safe you know very like I don't want to like rock too hard cause then it's too this or whatever this might be, you know? But for yeah. me, like this, like this checks all the boxes, man. And like, yes, from song one, you hear that crunch guitar and the, and the, it's just like the guitar and vocal, the, the lyrics are, you know, just like it, it's about rock music, you know, it's, yeah. I want rock and roll, but I don't want to deal with the hassle I know what I know, but I don't want to feel like an asshole. Like, dude, what, I mean, if I wrote that, I would think that I was, like, the greatest songwriter of all time, (laughs) you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah, like, even when it goes into, like, gimme animosity, it's, like, just feels like it keeps cranking it up. I agree. Like, it doesn't.
1: (laughs) I think it's the best, (laughs) one of the best, like, one, two punches, like, first, second song this side of like red medicine or something like you know like do you like me and and uh bed for the scraping like those two songs just like they just like i can't think of them separated like i think of these Mm -hmm. two songs the same way you know where one kind of fades very quickly the stick clicks come in and that super aggressive just like chuggy you know, and the the guitar tone is just so fucking cool and like fried. It's like I think it's like two MXR distortion pluses like dimes. on at the same like it's just it's like as close to Bob Mold as you're probably gonna get. Yeah, you know.
0: One thing I guess like when I think about like Bob Mold stuff, um, he he's like said that a lot of times he'll put kind of the strongest track as the second track. Um, and so I feel that almost on every Bob Mould record, it's like, if I were to sequence the record, I would put it, um, the second track is the first, but it's like, it's kind of like you're in or you're out. Um, but you know, I, I'm trying to like, think about this whole record though. And like, I, I, I wonder, like, do you feel like there's any, does it kind of go downhill at any point? Um, it
1: does. But I don't think of downhill as being bad. I don't you know, mean, I think yeah. that I think that um, one of the things that I love about music from the nineties, you know, like Soundgarden, Smashing Pumpkins, Nirvana, mm-hmm. they weren't afraid to actually like be dynamic, you know, and like they were all known as loud rock bands, but all of those bands knew how to be and it wasn't, obviously, like, you know, Louder Than Love or something is not like that, but once you get to, you know, Super Unknown or something, like, you know, Fallen Black Days is, like, extremely subdued, you know? for yeah. For them, you know? Same thing with The Pumpkins, you know? I mean, like, Melancholy. It's very dynamic, and it is, you know, 1979, and zero on the same record you know and so when i listen to this record it falls right into that same category for me where it starts off you know the first two songs were just like smack you over the head third song kind of kicks in uh which is what um going out or we got babies waiting kind of pulls back a little bit and gets into more of that Mm. like fan club kind of you know jangly kind of thing and then again you get hit with going out which is a rocker lighting the way which is a rocker but then they go into like warmth of a tomb which is you know almost like a elliot smith kind of you know like sort of it just it's very 60s sounding and it also sort of harkens back to the previous records kind of um you know Mellotron and and you know, and then it, it you know, it, it, it does have its peaks and valleys and I'm like secretively like glancing at my notes like, oh, it's this one, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. so I mean, to, to answer your question simply, I think that it it, go, the, it goes downhill because it, the, the record needs to breathe, but then it sort of will quickly go back up and it'll take you down again. And those are all my favorite records. Like I try to make records like that, you know, like.
0: Yeah, I try to, too. And, you know, I, I've i never been uh, in a successful band in any of the metrics that Super Drag have or most bands have. But it sort of feels to me that a lot of times, say in 2021 or the past few years, it's like people are afraid to have dynamics on their records.
1: Well, a lot you know, of like, yeah, I mean, people make singles, right? yeah well i guess mainstream music is just driven yeah. by singles and
0: but i feel like it even comes down to um kind of whatever scene we exist in. Okay. like you know i feel like our bands could easily play together um so in that world i guess that kind of indie slash punk kind of thing there's a lot of records that don't feel you know like it's like they take into consideration that you're having an album experience. They're almost thinking of them like I have to play all of these songs live yeah you know and like it's it's like they it's like they try and think about records being a 25 minute set right and um you know and so I I wonder if people should think about records in a way of like 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 this record <laughs> yeah you know? yeah like it gives you a lot of time to breathe and I think sometimes like when you get kind of like Up tempo kind of rocker every single time. You don't really. It's like, what is an up tempo rocker then? You know, (laughs) like it's if you don't have any dynamic there to tell you that it sort of makes things also feel like they rock harder if it's set against like warmth of a tomb. You know, kind of gives you that time to breathe. It, It. The thing. It's just like the idea that when people say like Black Sabbath is the heaviest band of all time, it's like, I mean you know like mashoga's heavier you know, but <laughs> right. it's like it feels it feels heavier because like it the dynamics you know I, it's just it allows itself to go there a lot of these records did but i don't i don't feel that so much in 2021
1: standards. yeah uh well you know we're yeah. fighting this battle against people's attention span you know and i think we that are. that's that <laughs> has a lot to do with it i mean it's
0: really the shortest answer
1: yeah <laughs> i mean I'll, yeah. okay i'll stop <laughs> No, no I'm just you're just kidding. kidding. Um, no, no, I, I, I think that, that I, I think there's room for both. Like, I think that there is, you know, something really cool about, you know, a nine-song record that just jams the entire time and doesn't let up, and it is kind of like a set. But I think that if the band just continues to repeat that over and over again, then they're not really showing that they have anything else. You know, in their in their quiver, right? And I think, like, so one of the few, I guess, like newer young bands that I like is that band Joyce Manor. And I think that they, they, if if they were to, to make every record sound like their first couple of records, you know, which are like what like nine minutes long and like twelve minutes yeah. long, yeah. If they were to just keep doing that and keep doing that, like, I I don't think people. Maybe there's, there's people who would like them more because that's when they heard them and whatever, but I like them. My 41-year-old brain likes them because mm-hmm. they continue to kind of evolve and try to be... I mean, even though their songs are still pretty short, no matter what, they, they, they try to kind of incorporate more, like, here's our, like, song that has a little Smith's kind of, like, guitar tone thing mm-hmm. happening, and it's got a little bit more of a, you know, kind of, like... Uh, no one can see what I'm doing with my hands, but like on the hi hat, it's sort of like double time, you know, d- danceable yeah. is maybe not the right term, but it, it has that vibe to it, you know? So, like, I think if a band comes out the gate, especially younger bands, and they're just like, here's our set on a record, I don't, I can't blame them for that, right? Because, like, no, yeah, totally. most, most,
0: that's a good first record. Yeah, it's a
1: good first record. <laughs> <laughs> but if you but if you don't try to push yourself and i'm not saying you have to make pet sounds by your third album but if you don't and and i think a lot of it too is like if you don't just listen to music man like get outside of your comfort zone like you know if you only listen to rancid and lagwagon and like whatever you're going to sound like that you know but if you yeah. if you listen to you know lag wagon but then you like found a a dub reggae album a year later and you're like what if i buy a delay pedal you know like that could be cool then
0: you sound like sublime oh, yeah, true.
1: <laughs> but you know what i'm getting <laughs> no, at no but i like, get what you i get it's what you sort mean, of like yeah. so there's that that there's sort of that like element at play and i think too like you know studios are expensive man you know like (laughs) nobody not everybody has you know the money to go in and make like a a a record that's kind of like expansive and like you know uh where you're 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 just gonna fuck with an organ for two hours to figure out a part that's only gonna be there for five seconds you know yeah And, and and people do have obviously the luxury of making records at home now and you know, home recording, and you know, it's it's all very within reach, right? Um, and there are a lot of cool records that people make that like are home recorded that have, you know that. But like what I think is cool about this record, to bring it back to this record is that it it kind of it kind of it does what I love so much at the same time. Like I love mm-hmm. visceral rock in your face would sound killer live. It's got those songs and it's also got the like, Hey, you know, we've been listening to smiley smile and, you know, uh, Sergeant pepper and, you know, what, whatever, like, uh, village green preservation society. And like, we're going to also do some of, some of that kind of stuff and we're going to put it all on one record, you know, and it's going to be 46 yeah. minutes long. I think as you called out and people are going to listen to it. You know?
0: Yeah. I mean, it, that wouldn't have been that strange at this time. For Not me. at all. And that's a perfectly. Well, streaming wasn't that's a, a perfectly thing.
1: downloading. Wasn't a yeah. thing, you know, like there was, you know, I mean, CDs and, and whatever, like we were, we're obviously like super popular still and, and whatever, but like it, it it came out right before like MySpace and all of these other things that like sort of to some old fogies probably like ruined everything, you know? Um, which I don't I don't believe is true, but it did get on under that like you know that sort of like changing of the guard, so to speak, or that 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 shift in how people consumed music, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess. Well, just that that kind of game that I was mentioning at the beginning. If you had to cut a song from
1: this record, what do you think it would be? Oh, man, I'm kind of torn because I think that you can go two ways with this. I think you could cut um, like Unprepared, maybe, which is kind of a waltzy, like Elliot Smith kind of like you you could hear it on figure eight or something. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the 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 lyrics are just like so fucking raw like on another day any other day we'd open our eyes and you would be alive like dude that like if you've lost somebody like that is that makes the hair stand up on your arms you know and the way he sings it it's just so good or or something like some kind of tragedy which is actually the the song after that i feel like you know there's probably enough of those kind of songs on the record that, like, you really didn't need another one. Um, Although, you know, I love that song, and it's, like, kind of the most punk song on the record, you know, with, like, it's got sort of these, like, it's very, like, it starts off crunchy, and then um, it's got sort of these, like, syncopated things between the guitar and the drums where it's sort of, like, uh, stop, start, stop, start. It's kind of, and it's cool. It's kind of like a Buzzcocks almost kind of thing in a way. Maybe, like, a Buzzcocks meets... Guided by voices or something like that. Yeah. Um, because the song after it, "True Believer," is one of my favorite songs in the record.
0: It's it's probably I think I would say it's easily my favorite on a record that has so many amazing songs. I would probably cut some kind of tragedy, just in the same reason we were kind of talking. I'm not sure if you need more of that, because I think that if you cut this, and this is just nonsense exercise um then i don't know if it would change anyone's relationship with the record
1: i don't think so i Not think happening. i think there's there's lyrically it's probably one of the weaker songs on the record um you know i i do like that little kind of beatlely riff that's like um like a little george harrison like drive my car kind of riff that they sort of sneak in there i think that's kind of a cool nod but yeah i agree with you i don't think that like i don't think that it that it is it carries the weight as even unprepared, you know, like lyrically, especially, you know. Um, but man, you know. I, yeah, it's a tough decision. To, but I, I don't I think sometimes it's record.
0: like, it's like, I don't know how big the butterfly effect of taking off of uh, taking off some kind of tragedy would really be at the end of it the day. Like it might be some kind of tragedy.
1: It might. Or not.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Um, but yeah, True Believer definitely to me is like, just like top track and you have to have in the valley of, I, have of dying stars. Like, I mean, it is the name of the record, but even so like, it just feels like it, I I love those kind of endings on records. Like just kind of like, we'll sit here and take it all in and we'll think about what we've just done That's yeah, what it feels I, like. I, I agree. Yeah. It's
1: like the quintessential closing song on an album, but mm-hmm. not in a way it. You know, uh, there's always, like, I'm sure you in your band, if you have some slower songs, it's like, well, we'll just put it, it'll be the last song, you know? But, like, I, I, I tend to, like, not want to end records that way, personally. But for this one, I think it it brings everything to the table about the record into one song. The song happens to be one of the more mid-tempo songs of the album. But to me, it's got, it's got the shoegazy... Thing with the guitar is happening you know it it's it's got there's a lot of really cool backup vocals throughout the record that like they kind of come in and come out they're not like the focal point of the record but on this song it's you know that kind of like walk up walk down and you know like they do a really cool thing over the guitar part with the backing vocals and it's just I don't know man it obviously with the it being called the title it's the title track of the record it just it feels like it bookends it in a in in a perfect way, you know. It just, yeah. It's I'm like super jealous of that song, to be honest with you. And it's very simple. It's a very simple song.
0: Yeah, and I, speaking of that, I know I keep going back to like the pitchfork thing, but they kind of use the how its simplicity as like a negative thing. But I feel like it's it's always just that's what music is a lo- most of the time is just is simple. The best music is you know, like the best old classic country song is like almost two chords, you know, like almost any Hank Williams song, you know? And it's like, that simplicity is like hard to get back to. And I think that's something that is a positive with this record. Like, and it's, I I don't know. I love it. I, I always wonder why it's always like a, viewed as like a negative thing. And, and, like pitchfork reviews let's say or reviews in general where they'll they'll do that it's like oh it's just like a a ascending chord or a descending chord like what else would you have us do yeah, and
1: and, you know how many music writers are musicians right like i don't know you know i think it's it's kind of like you know very easy for someone who doesn't understand how to write a song to critique somebody who writes music because they don't know how hard it can be you know um Mm -hmm. but like for me my worst songs are the ones that i spent the most time on i can tell you that for sure you know um and and if something takes me i don't know man like most songs that i love that i've done that i feel something like connection to are songs that i wrote in 15 minutes you know or just yeah, like I,
0: I feel the same way a lot of times because then I feel like it's like what I truly meant. It's yeah. like something that kind of people people always say it's like, you know, the song kind of came to you. Um, but that's it just feels like where I'm not like editing myself too much. And if something fully comes out of it, then I feel like I'm at my most honest. Yeah, You know, like it just feels like it's coming through your fingertips. Um, it's like grilling, you know, man. And, uh,
1: you can't leave the fucking yeah. burger on for too long you know or whatever it's like you know when it's overcooked as soon as you bite into it and you know i i that's what i think for this record i i don't feel that about any song really you know i feel like mm-hmm. there is an immediacy to the rockers for sure even like some kind of tragedy like you probably wrote that in 15 minutes there's no question and he i mean it just sounds like a song you just like oh man i need a rocker and he whipped it right out and is like there we go cool I'm good, or like shit, man, you know, Robert Pollard is obviously like the best example of somebody who can you know wh- turn something out of nothing and th- you know and make it great uh and probably not <laughs> spend too much time on it, but I think I heard somebody say, I think it was like John Worster or Mac from Superchunk when they were making that first record they made majesty shredding i think it was the one that like was their like comeback album after
0: yeah um, yeah
1: after the last one it was like 10 years in between or whatever yeah yeah and it they he was just like talking about you know the way they approached it was like first idea best idea you know and i that that holds true so much because and i'm not the type of person to be opposed to like like, I'm, I'm usually the guy in the band who's like, oh, yeah, well, let's try it, you know? Let's try it. Like, if someone's like, oh, what if we did this? I'm like, yeah, let's try it, you know? Um, but more often than not, first idea is the one that ends up winning in the end, you know? Yeah, I,
0: I feel like sometimes it's like I'm glad that I'm not someone like John Davis where it feels like he's kind of more of, like, the leader of the band. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not sure what other ideas really got in, and I could be wrong there um but you know a lot of times when people tell me let's just try and add this bridge part here um i go more like first idea you know <laughs> is best idea but then you know i'm in a band yeah. so you know you have to give something up but i definitely feel like it's like mentally i'm like the school of uh first idea best idea you know? yeah well but that Ma- majesty shredding is like one of super chunk's like best records i, I would agree say. with
1: you i think it's a great record but, you know, it's interesting with this, with, so this, so Valley, you know, first three records, all John songs, right? The record that comes out after Valley, a Last Call for Vitriol, has contributions from other members in the band. And so does yeah. the final super drag record, which I don't think most people even know exists, called Industry Giants also has, which is a reunion of the original lineup, um, but that also has songs from the other guys, you know, the bass player, the, the other guitar player. So it's, it's interesting that this is the last out super drag record that's a full, fully John Davis experience, you know, um, in terms of him being the singer, the, the, you know, the lyricist, whatever. Um, and, and, you know, I think those records, quite frankly, suffer, because of the contributions of the other guys not being nearly as good like last call for vitriol would be a really great ep you know like if you asked, if we were having a conversation about that record and you're like what songs would you cut i would be able to tell you immediately <laughs> you know like yeah uh that one is not hard for me to go through and go like yeah Stu gotta go uh <laughs> um but uh you know a song like
0: so you're saying you would would you cut safe and warm
1: um no because i think it does what what you know a song like unprepared or ambulance driver does on uh valley which is it, it slows the pace it allows it to breathe and i just you know i think john, i mean john is such a he's such a great singer like his vocals yeah. on that song it's like why is this not why did this song not make its way to like some popular country singer and and be a big hit? Yeah. You know, because it's, yeah, it is very well. Much yeah, record.
0: I was going to say, if you cut that record, it would really, you know, since I mentioned to you that me and my wife danced to it at our wedding, it would really like cut deep if you had cut Safe and More. Yeah, well, I didn't want record. to offend you. So we yeah. just met, so, so. so. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it feels like it could have been a song that, I mean, exactly what you said. I think that that was great. Um, but, yeah, and I, even lesser, so I don't hear anyone talk about that, but but I wouldn't disagree with you. I remember when uh, kind of digging into that album, too, thinking about it, and it's almost like I put Safe and Warm, like, earlier in their career and just was like, I couldn't figure out what album it was okay. on um, because I was like, wait, this is a song on that record? <laughs> I remember. It's certainly an like, outlier song. I was kind of confused.
1: You know? Yeah. But, you know, them being a band from the South, you know, and living in Nashville, I think when that record came out, you know, it made a lot of sense actually. But, you know, yeah, and, and I think there's some some songs on, on that record at, uh, on Last Call for Vitriol are some of my favorite super drag songs, you know? Um, so, I mean, it's, it's kind of a shame that that record didn't get you know, the, the sort of like the treatment, I think that, that I think by that time, John was kind of more like, Hey, I need to loosen the grip, you know, like, and I've, and I, I've, I think, you know, when you're in a band, you want people to be emotionally invested in it. You know, if you're like the songwriter in the band, like if, if they just feel like they're a cover band of you, of your songs, how, how much fun is that for people, you know? Yeah. And if they write songs too, like, I mean, and if your if your ego will allow it, you know, I think for the health of the band, sometimes you've got to kind of like, you've got to just allow the other guys. I mean, it's the famous joke of like the drummer raises his hand. And he's like, "I've got a song." I don't I'm not saying you need to go yeah. that far,
0: <laughs> but. Yeah. We we've done we've done it some, but I think it's it's important Um,
1: for the for the morale of the band, you know. I mean, and they probably know they're like, this isn't as good as as you know, like I don't know, uh, feeling like I do, which is like one of the best fucking super drag songs ever. You know, uh, what I'm I'm like looking at the track list here. Remain your strange. uh, There's another one on here uh, I can't wait. They're just not that good, you know, and, and I'm sure yeah. they know it, but Hey, you know, you want dudes who, or people rather who they want to, they want to, you want them to feel included, you know, you want them to feel yeah. part of it. And, and so I get it to a certain degree, you know?
0: Yeah. I think in a lot of ways too, that, that kind of going back using the word dynamics, Um, if it turns out well and other people contribute then it creates like an energy that you wouldn't have be been able to do as one singular writer because it's like when you write and that that's a weird it's a weird critique when people say like things are samey it's like john davis is one person writing songs you know so it's a weird critique it's like every band you've ever liked if there's one main songwriter they tend to sound pretty similar throughout their whole career that's how music works. So if it if it works in places on Last Call for Vitriol, then uh, you know that can, I think it would be a good thing to have other voices in the room. Do you feel like with your own band, uh, ex, extra arms? Do you feel like you allow that to happen, or are you the core songwriter?
1: I mean, I'm definitely the core songwriter, you know, but um, it's 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 an interesting question to ask right now because of how you know, quarantine and COVID has affected being in a band, you know? And so mm-hmm. my kind of whole experience over the last year and a half, you know, we made a record at, in 2019 uh, that came out at the end of 2019 that um, was basically written kind of, I wouldn't say it was written in the room, but like, cause I had definitely demoed and like stuff like that, but it was very much for people learning the songs together at the same time, making tweaks as we went, you know uh, discussing the dynamics of songs it was it's a it's sort of a concept record so like the 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 overall idea was like sort of sketched out like I knew which songs were going to go in which order and all that stuff but you know it was definitely made and we had just gotten a new drummer at the time so like you know jumping in and like learning a bunch of old songs kind of sounded boring so, we're like, let's get, let's get in a room, let's start like cranking out some new jams so like the, the drummer, our drummer Dan felt like part of it, you know? It was a very exciting time and we were, you know, just kind of on a roll. And so that experience was really, really positive and really, really fun, you know. because um, mm-hmm. this band kind of was my solo project that became a band. You know, so I've got records that I've made basically playing all the instruments. And eventually it was like, well, I want to play these songs live. Songs live got people to, to play kind of as my backing band or whatever. And it went so well that we were like, it used to be Ryan Allen and his extra arms. And I was like, chop off the Ryan Allen part. This is just extra arms. We're a band. We make songs together. This is what we do. Um, mm-hmm. And so we have a record called Headache that started to go that route. And then the one after called Up From Here definitely went that route. Um, and then, uh, COVID happened. (laughs) So (laughs) I, I kind of went back to the lab and I actually made a bunch of solo records like in my basement and just threw them up online or whatever. Um, and you know, kind of through that was also working on songs that I knew would be like band songs, Hmm. but because I had so much time, you know, I was just like, well, I'll just demo it like fully. And we ended up making a record that's going to come out next year not getting into the same room at all, you know? So it was less collaborative at the start, you know, where it was like, here's the demos, listen to them, learn the parts. We went into like a friend's studio, just the drummer and I eventually after he had worked out everything. Lay down the guitar, lay down the the, the drums together. And then the bass player kind of would send his stuff from home. I'd go back and I'd, you know, put put some extra guitar stuff. Our lead guitar player. And I got, you know, we did it all masked up. We did it all in just like pods, you know, just like one or two people at a time. So the collaboration didn't really come out until the actual like production of the record started, you know, where we were like, oh, let's add this. So let's take this away. So it was a very interesting way to, like, get to that point, you know, instead of starting, like, hey, what if we, you know, do this twice as long or half the amount of times that you have it on the demo? It was, like, this is just how it goes. But then we were, like, you know, it was, like, buying a house and then kind of standing back and going, like, oh, you know, maybe we should move the, car- the couch over here. Like, the house was already yeah. built. But then we were just doing, like, you know, more nitpicky stuff as we went. So I still think it turned out really, really great. And it sounds like a band playing, but it was made, uh, like, you know, in this weird fucked up time, (laughs) you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's definitely, well, I spent a lot of my last year, um, watching like every TV show, like start to finish. Uh, didn't really write as much as I, sh- I should have, uh, now in hindsight, as we're kind of coming out of it. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I think it's interesting because like, I got a lot of recording gear and kind of learned it's, a, I, I always thought I couldn't do it, yeah. but you know, kind of having those cause I'm primarily a bass player. Um, but it, it's given me like a nice confidence, like, oh, when I put all this together, I can make it sound like I know what I'm doing. You know, so, so I think like recording at home is fun is what I'm saying. And everyone should do it. You know, so, so I like that approach, you know, it's definitely like changed the way I've thought about writing songs. It's always felt like I had to be in a room with other people. And I still love that feeling, but I'm like, I can do this by myself if I ever had to, or at least I can start there. And that's like good to know.
1: There's a lot of roads to get there, you know? And I think that there isn't one right or wrong way. It's, and I think you can try different things, you know, and I, and actually, you know, John Davis, to bring it back to super drag, like he is a huge home recording guy. He, he, you know, there's, if you go on high bias cassette based operations dot com or whatever it is, there's demos for all these records that he's done, you know, on four track. It's really a cool cool thing to like be able to dig into that he like, puts out there and i'm very into that like i'm a huge god of my voices fan and i mm. i just love you know to to see i mean obviously kind of my voices the recordings that you hear you know they're the only ones that exist normally of the song you know so yeah. there's not a lot of gbv demos that i'm aware of i mean there are no. for sure but i guess my point is is like you know Alien Lanes sounds like 90% of bands' demos, except for the songs are incredible, you know? But my point is is that John Davis is really cool about peeling back the veil, you know, peeling back the curtain and showing, like, the process of how these things came together. You know, the, the version that you know and the version that was sort of the inkling of the idea it, it, both are accessible and you can hear both. And I think that that's super rad. I'm really into that, you know? And so, um, because, you know, songwriting is, it's an exercise, you know, and it is, it is a muscle that you have to continuously, you know, work to, so it doesn't atrophy. And part of that process is to me, the demo part mm-hmm. of that process is, yeah, you know, the, the, the voice recording on your phone real quick when, you know, I mean, dude, I, I'm not, I'm not bragging by any means, but at the beginning of quarantine, I went for a run one day because I was like, dude, what, what, how, how are we going to navigate this? Like, you know, I like immediately, I was like, I need to do something. So I wrote in my head an eight song mm-hmm. hardcore record. And as I'm running, I was like writing lyrics and I'm like, okay, this one's going to be like the minor threat kind of song. This one's going to be like the, uh, you know, like the New York hardcore breakdown is going to be in this one. And and I just and then I got back from the run, went down, and I literally like just wrote the songs within an hour and then recorded them over the next day, you know. Um, but my point is, is like, you know, the process can look different at different times, you know, like some, some, sometimes it's going to be, you know the voice memo. Sometimes it's going to be the demo. Sometimes it's going to be the the people in the room, and I and I'm I'm the type of person to say like follow it all, man. Do it all. Yeah. Figure you know like you never know when you're going to stumble upon something to, for the lack of a better description, magical. You know, uh, and I and that's why I love writing songs. It's like I feel like I'm like chasing that always. You know that like not chasing a hit, but just chasing something that like, I'm going to be super pumped about and hopefully like other people are too.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, we, I appreciate you talking to me and we didn't even talk about a memory <laughs> and we didn't talk about, uh, John Davis becoming Christian. Um, but I feel like it's but those things have been, been talked covered. about in different yeah. ways. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, his Christianity um,
1: definitely started to creep in a little bit on this record, and definitely showed its face. There is
0: ambulance driver yeah. has you know, <laughs> lyrics that talk well, about I it. Well, I think
1: when you're met with something yeah. that is so traumatic, you know, like you look for answers, right? And I and, and also John, I mm-hmm. know, struggled with alcohol. You know, so um, I'm four years without booze personally. You know, and like, Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't have any affiliation with Christianity or anything like that. But like, my religion is getting up in the morning and running or whatever, or making music. Mm -hmm. But like, there, and, and yeah, I mean, we've gone pretty long here, but like, there is, (laughs) there is a lot of interesting kind of things about this dude, you know, um, that like really, I think, make him a very, um, compelling person that if you just wrote this band off, like sucked out whatever I heard it, it's a one hit wonder, 90s, blah, blah, I don't care. I think you you really missed watching the evolution of a person, you know, um, songwriting wise, with his faith, with his struggles, you know, his family, like whatever. I think it's a really compelling uh kind of like trajectory, you know, and so it, it's really great to see that he's still making music. I think the Lisa memory stuff is fucking awesome. Um and just as vital and uh as as the Super Drag stuff. Um and I actually give him a lot of credit for not like going back and like mining the super drag thing anymore. Like he's very much like, no, like th- we're done and this is what I'm doing. And he like, you know, it's it's definitely been something where I think he shunned, you know, uh, the nostalgia of the band for a while. And obviously, like, you know, this record just got reissued, which we should should definitely Mm -hmm. mention, Um, you know, and people went nuts, dude. People I'm like on a super drag Facebook group, like people were like, because I have an original version of this record on vinyl. But then I ordered two other ones just because I was like, I want this color variant. And it comes with a booklet and whatever. I mean, people went freaking crazy for this reissue. And they reissued the last two records too, but people were like psyched, right? But it's not like, okay, and then we're going to do the Victory Lap reunion tour to promote this. It's like, you wanted it, I'll give it to you. But also, you know, I'm working on this, I'm working on this, I'm working on this. And this is what I'm doing now. Yeah. And I think that that's super cool. So I give I give yeah. that guy tons of respect. Uh, he's never gotten bad. He's never, you know, I mean, I think like Unnecessary Evil, uh, the second Lee's record is just as good as this record in, in a different way. I think Moonshot, the record that came out last year, is excellent. Um, and, you know, he's an inspiration to me, bro. Like, honestly, like he, he's older than me. He's probably about, I don't know, 10 years older than I am maybe or something like that. Maybe not that much, but certainly six or seven years older than I am. Tasted success in a way that I would never, ever be able to do and just still keeps grinding. And, and that, that is uh super inspirational. So yeah, John, if you're listening, dude, I, I'm a fan. And, uh, don't stop.
0: I think we said everything we can say, and I super appreciate you, you know, talking with me.
1: Same, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Welcome back. Thanks again to Ryan Allen for coming on the pod. Check out Ryan's band Extra Arms, and also John Davis' post-Super Drag band Lees of Memory. Okay, next week we're chatting with my longtime buddy Scott Hicks of the band Totally Slow. They just released a new album, Casual Drag, on Refresh Records. Great album, and I would highly recommend it. We talked the government-issue album You from 1987. I will say it's a little hard to find if you're looking for it on streaming. Potentially search for government-issue Complete History Volume 2. The song's Jaded Eyes to melancholy miss it's definitely an album more people should be familiar with in my humble opinion late era government issue is easily easily their best material i'd say they got better as they became less punk more on that next week thanks as always sarah blumenthal for editing the pod and pretty maddie for the theme once again check us out on patreon and leave us a review wherever you do that And please tell a friend. Well, anyway, see you next week.